So. We do say in our meal chant that uh, we vow to do that which is good and to avoid that which is evil. I think there may be some confusion about the word evil um, because it sounds like it's a thing. References to evil, evil doers, or access of evil, um, our evil, our our enemies are evil. Um, in uh, in Buddhism, though, evil is not some entity, not like some dark entity that exists apart from um, human uh, ignorance. So, I'm not sure we should use the word evil, but um, I think ignorance is better. Basically, the most fundamental teaching is not to do harm not to do what creates suffering or creates uh, um, karma which leads to more suffering and that applies to oneself or to others but it's hard to see what uh, what is the root of suffering. It's hard to see our own ignorance. It's hard to see actually how desire or uh, our tendency to want to protect ourselves and cling to some particular idea, it's hard to see how that uh, actually creates suffering. It takes some real study and some investigation. It's not obvious to everybody. So what kind of a mind are we uh, cultivating? I think uh, one example, I'm sure you're, uh, I think you're familiar with the story which is uh, attributed to a couple of different people, but one of the one of the people is Hakuin, and uh, so just uh, if we if we say it's Hakuin, Hakuin was living in a in a little hut on the uh, coast of Japan near a fishing village and uh, practicing zazen and. Uh, Teaching others, um, he was very—he was instrumental in uh, invigorating Zen in Japan. Also, a wonderful calligrapher. But one day, uh, this family appeared at his door, right, and they said, "Our daughter 
had this baby and says, you're the father. And they present the baby to Hakuan. And Hakuan says, so deska, uh, which we usually translate, uh, is that so? And then he receives the baby and takes care of the baby and gets uh, um, someone else, someone to help and nurse the baby. And uh, evidently, uh, for some weeks or maybe months, takes the best care of the baby that he can. And then, um, that's not you, Bing, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's off. <laughs> it's off. Uh, and then uh, one day the, f the family uh, comes back and they s and they explain very apologetically. Oh, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. We made a big mistake. Uh, now. We know who really is the father, and so we want the baby back. And uh, and Hakuan says, "So deska," and returns the baby to the people. Is that so? Um, there's. Uh, I think a wonderful. Uh, sense in that story of the quality of mind that is free of self-clinging, which is, uh, we've been talking about the Heart Sutra, and uh, seeing, intellectually seeing that, uh, you know, the, the skandhas, the aggregates are, are empty of self, is, seems, is rather abstract. It's hard to understand what that means, but when you reflect upon the character of the person who, when confronted with this devastating injustice, right, that, oh, people would recoil and say, no, I have nothing to do, this is not my baby, I'm not the father, I'm, you know, I'm not chaste monk just working away and doing my meditation and how can you do this and, you, know, <laughs> you know all these thoughts would come up right if you're if you have any uh, tendency to cling to your own uh, self-image right? so to just receive the situation take it in hand take care say oh is this so not defending yourself um, but at the same time uh, uh, responding with an inquiring mind a questioning spirit saying oh is that so um, and actually inviting people to participate in the spirit of question what is what is really truly going on here uh, and then on the other hand, after after a few months, you know, I have a little granddaughter, and uh, my uh, my uh, my daughter Anna leaves these messages on my voicemail, 
of the little gurgling sounds and of uh, this little baby. And I, that's just so so charming, so endearing, you know. So I, how could how could one give up the baby <laughs> after having after having a baby for, three, for a couple of months, you know? <laughs> Equally difficult, say. Wait a minute. You know you can't come back and take the baby away. <laughs> now this is my baby. I've been I've been putting all this care. You may have seen the article in the paper about the golden retriever that was adopted. Um, escaped from somebody's yard. The woman had taken the collar off because there was something going on which she was afraid the collar would get caught. And uh, but then the dog was out and somebody else picked up the dog and then I was taken to the Humane Society and put up for adoption and someone else adopted it and then, then they discovered that was their dog. But then the people who had adopted it did not want to give up the dog. We, ad we adopted this dog, we, you know, we paid the whatever, $75 to have all the things done. And so that might be a more typical reaction. No. I think they finally worked it out so that they're going to get a different dog. But anyway, it was a big deal, you know, and uh, the story ran for several days in the paper. I heard it on the radio. And I thought, oh. Hakon's <laughs> response is pretty unusual. Um, And it comes from a, a, a maturity of mind. And that moment by moment, you realize that you don't know, and you're ready to greet and receive and take care of whatever comes up. Pretty hard to do. If you watch your uh, state of mind as you go through the day and things happen, particularly something that's unexpected. Or you may notice that you're expecting something to happen that doesn't, or expecting <coughs> someone to say something that they don't say, or um, <coughs> expecting some, someone to say something that they do say, <laughs> and you already have an attitude about it. <laughs> All these things are um, they're not evil exactly, but they are limited, and they are based on uh, self-clinging, which leads to more trouble, more suffering. So we go around, you know, with all this kind of swimming and draped. <laughs> in our attitudes and our fears, which then are kind of activated as things happen. Um, now we really don't know what's going on. And uh, depending on how much time I have.
it's a question of whether to quote the Dalai Lama <laughs> or Bill Bryson. And I think well, we'll come back to the Dalai Lama, but Bill Bryson is uh, this this book I just finished reading uh, called The Short History of Nearly Everything, which is a history of uh, scientific discovery in the West. And I want to uh, just in this the to help you understand how much you don't know what's going on, I wanted to read a little bit about cells. I, I talked to people at San Quentin about this last night. The word cells has a particular connotation for them. <laughs> but the word actually came from uh, when Robert Hooke was uh, looking through a microscope and uh, looking at the leaves of plants. This is back in the 1600s early microscope and he could see that there are these little units divided off in the leaf of the plant and thought that it, it reminded him of uh, monks' cells in monastery and so he named them cells <coughs> based upon that the little cubicles in a monastery so monks' cells um, Bill Bryson's a very good writer and uh, makes a couple of points that you may not have thought about. One is that um, there's no up or down inside a cell. Gravity is irrelevant at that level. <laughs> it doesn't really meaningfully, meaningfully apply at a cellular scale. Um, and you have cells in your body that are, uh, uh, you know, ma many of them are, they're so tiny, but at the same time, they, uh, some cells actually, nerve cells actually run some, some distance. There's a fiber that is quite elongated. So there's uh, different sizes of cells, but whatever, whatever uh, the size of the cell that the plan is basically the same. Um, but at a microscopic level, things behave differently. Um, the outer casing of a cell is not really something like a membrane, but it's more like a uh, like an oil. At a microscopic level, a lipid is uh, very. Uh, significant, almost like solid, but it's not really solid in the sense that we usually think of things. If you could visit a cell, he says, oh, now I'll read a little bit, if you could visit a cell, you wouldn't like it. Blown up to a scale at which atoms are about the size of peas, a cell itself would be a sphere about a half mile across. So if an atom is the size of a pea, you can get a sense that the cell is as big as the whole uh, Crystal Park neighborhood. It's supported by a complex framework of grid of girders called cytoskeleton. Within it, millions upon millions of objects, some the size of basketballs, others the size of cars would whiz by like bullets. 
There wouldn't be a place you could stand without being pummeled and ripped thousands of times every second from every direction. Even for its full-time occupants, the inside of a cell is a hazardous place. Each strand of DNA is on average attacked or damaged once every eight seconds, 10,000 times a day, by chemicals and other agents that whack into it or carelessly slice through it, and each of these wounds must be swiftly stitched up if the cell is not to perish. The proteins are especially live, lively, spinning, pulsating, and flying into each other up to a billion times a second. This is all happening when we sit still. <laughs> Enzymes themselves, a type of protein, dash everywhere, performing up to a thousand tasks a second. Like greatly speeded up worker ants, they busily build and rebuild molecules, hauling a piece off of this one, adding a piece to that one. Some monitor passing proteins and mark with a chemical those that are irreparably damaged or flawed. Once so selected, the doomed proteins proceed to a structure called proteasome where they are stripped down and their components used to build new proteins. Some types of proteins exist for less than half an hour, others survive for weeks, but all lead existences that are inconceivably frenzied. The molecular world must necessarily remain entirely beyond the powers of our imagination, owing to the incredible speed with which things happen in it. Typically, a cell will contain some 20,000 different types of protein. Different types. And of these, about 2,000 types will each be represented by at least 50,000 molecules. This is all within this one, one cell. <laughs> and of course, you have billions of cells. Um, When cells are no longer needed, we're talking about transiency now, when cells are no longer needed, they die with what can only be called great dignity. They take down all the struts and buttresses that hold them together and quietly devour their component parts. The process is known as apoptosis, or programmed cell death. Each day, billions of your cells die for your benefit, and billions of others clean up the mess. Cells can also die violently, for instance, when you have an infection, but mostly they die because they are told to. Indeed, if not told to live, if not given some kind of active instruction from another cell, cells automatically kill themselves. Cells need a lot of reassurance. When occasionally as occasionally happens, a cell fails to expire in the prescribed manner, but rather begins to divide and proliferate, wildly we call the result cancer. Cancer cells are really just confused cells. Cells make this mistake fairly regularly, but the body has elaborate mechanisms for dealing with it. It's only very rarely in the process that it spirals out of control. The wonder of cells is not that things occasionally go wrong, but that they manage everything so smoothly for decades at a stretch. They do so by constantly sending and monitoring streams of messages from all around the body, instructions, queries, corrections, requests for assistance, updates, notices to divide or expire. Most of these signals arrive by means of couriers called hormones. And then he goes into hormones a little bit. Um, anyway, the cells 
communicate directly with their neighboring cells always to make sure their actions are coordinated. But what is perhaps most remarkable is that it is all random action, a sequence of endless encounters. There is clearly no thinking presence behind any of the actions of individual cells. It all just happens smoothly and repeatedly and so reliably that seldom are we even conscious of it. Yet somehow all this produces not just order within the cell, but a perfect harmony right across the organism. In ways that we have barely begun to understand, trillions upon trillions of chemical reactions add up to a mobile, thinking, decision-making person, or a rather less reflective but still incredibly organized dung beetle. Every living thing is a wonder of atomic engineering. So, uh, for centuries, people who have been uh, following this path of deeply uh, entering into uh, an absorbed but awake state of mind have noticed that there is a natural harmony. Things are being born and dying at many levels, large scale, human scale, small scale, incredibly tiny scale. Um, now with scientific instrumentation we can, you know, explore and find out a little bit more, but it's, the more we find out, the more we find out that it's incomprehensible. We really can't grasp how uh, you know a billion things can happen in a second. Um, so this um, I mean I, I see this as actually uh, a kind of confirmation actually of what we say when we talk about true nature and that you that your being is um, supported by a completely uh, inconceivable interconnected universe and there is uh, I mean just just having that kind of information supports the notion that you can trust sitting. <laughs> that you can actually take a seat and allow your own mind to uh, open up to the immediate experience that you have and appreciate it in all the depth and variety and vastness in which that experience uh, occurs to you. And then when someone comes up and hands you a baby that you didn't expect, you can say, oh, is that so? And when you don't have anything being handed to you, there's already so much going on right now, you can say the same thing. Oh, is that so? 
thanks for listening. Now we've been ending, I think, with uh, chanting the refuges, right? Buddham Saranam Gachami Dhamam Saranam Gachami Sangram Saranam Gachami Duryampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Dhamam Saranam Gachami Duryampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Tadiyampi Bodham Saranam Gachami Tadiyampi Dhamam Saranam Gachami Tariyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami I take refuge in Buddha I take refuge in Dharma Oh